Well, if we could this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read in Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and if we just read again at the beginning, where Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so on. Now it's safe to say that life is full of questions. And you know, it's good to ask questions because, well, that's how we learn. And you know, I see that every day with David, Finley and Daniel, our three little boys. They're always asking questions. Why? How? What for? They're always asking questions. And sometimes I'll admit it's tiring. But you know, it's good to ask questions because that's how we learn. And you know, over the past few weeks, while we've been studying Paul's letter to the Colossians... Paul has been asking us questions about Christianity. Because when we considered chapter 1 a few weeks ago, Paul was asking us, how do you become a Christian? And contrary to the false teachers in Colossae that claimed that in order to become a Christian, you need Jesus plus. You need Jesus plus your knowledge, or Jesus plus your good works, or Jesus plus your law-keeping. Or Jesus plus, well, as it was for the Colossians, circumcision. And, you know, the result of presenting this false message to these young Gentile Christians, it left them feeling inferior and that they were inadequate and that they weren't good enough to earn their salvation and that they lacked something in their Christianity. And, you know, the result was that the Colossians doubted their salvation and they questioned whether or not they were actually saved. They lacked confidence in Christ and they lacked assurance in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But when Paul asked the question in chapter 1, how do you become a Christian? He emphasized that our Christianity is not about what we do. It's about confessing what Jesus Christ has done. And Paul says that in order to become a Christian, we must simply confess Jesus Christ as our Lord And Savior. We must confess that Jesus Christ is supreme, He's sovereign, and He's sufficient in all things, including our salvation. And so in chapter 1, Paul asked, How do you become a Christian? Then, when we went on to chapter 2, Paul asked, Do you live like a Christian? Do you live like a Christian? But when Paul asked that question in chapter 2, he wasn't speaking about our Christian conduct. He was speaking about our assurance as a Christian. He said, do you live like a Christian? Do you live in the assurance of your Christianity? He says, you have confessed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but do you live like a Christian? Do you live in the assurance that you're following Jesus Christ and that you belong to Jesus Christ and that you're bought by Jesus Christ and that you're united to Jesus Christ? Do you live like a Christian? Or the the alternative he presents is, do you constantly live in fear? Do you have this sick 
feeling in your stomach, this anxiety that you might not be a genuine Christian. Do you live, this is Paul asking, do you live thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not able to be a proper Christian. How can God really love me? What if I'm not the real deal? What if all of this is just in my head? And on the day of judgment, when I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, what if I'm told by Jesus, depart from me, for I never knew you? But you know, the reason Paul asked this question, do you live like a Christian? It wasn't to plant a seed of doubt in our heart and in our mind. The reason he asked this question in chapter 2 is because we have no reason to lack assurance or confidence in Christ because he says Jesus Christ is our fullness. And that in Christ, as Christians united to Jesus Christ by faith, as those who, who love the Lord, he says we lack nothing because we are complete in Christ. As those who have confessed Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, he says, we have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. We are complete in Christ because of our union with Christ. And as we said before, Paul loves this concept of union with Christ. He's writing about it in every, every letter. And he emphasizes how precious our salvation is and how full our salvation is because we are in Christ or we are with Christ. There's this marriage between the Christian and Christ. We are in union with Christ. And from that, Paul goes on to say that because of our union with Christ, he says to the Colossians, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow all these traditions. You don't need to follow all these certain customs that these people are imposing upon you in order to be a proper Christian. You don't need to follow all that, he says. No, Paul says that your union with Christ, it's so close and so personal that when Christ was crucified on the cross, you were crucified with him. When Christ died on the cross, he says, as a Christian, you died with him. When Christ was Buried in the tomb, you were buried with him. And when, then he says, when Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised to the newness of life with him. You were raised through the power of the resurrection. And Paul emphasizes how close our union with Christ really is. Because when you come into chapter 3, he goes on to say that that union with Christ is so close that our Christianity should affect every area of our lives. Our Christianity should affect every area of our lives. And so in chapter 1, Paul asked, how do you become a Christian? In chapter 2, Paul asked, do you live like a Christian? But now as we come to chapter 3, Paul is asking, how much does your Christianity affect your life? How much does your Christianity affect your life. And he says in the opening words of this chapter, if then you have been raised with Christ, in union with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him 
in glory. And what Paul is saying is that if you have confessed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior, then you are united to him by faith. And that union, it's inseparable. You cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus because you've been crucified with Christ You've died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ, and now you've been raised to the newness of life in Christ. And Paul says that if you have been raised with Christ to this new life, then you must seek the things that are above. You must seek to live your life in a manner that is God-honoring and Christ-like. Because he says, Christ is seated in glory. He's at the right hand Of God the Father. And this is the beauty of it. He says to the Christian. You are in union with him. You are in union with Christ. Who is seated at the right hand of God. And so you are to set your mind. Upon things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. He says. Look to Jesus. For your direction. And your guidance. And listen and obey his voice. You don't look to the world for your direction. Don't look to the earthly things that are around you for your direction and your guidance. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. It was crucified, dead and buried. The old has passed away. You're you're a new creature in Christ. Your old life has died. Your old self, it's crucified, dead and buried. But now, as a Christian, you're alive in Christ and you're You are hidden with Christ in God. Your life is concealed, he says, in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. And so as someone who has been raised with Christ, he says, you're to seek the things that are above. You're to look to Jesus. And by looking to Jesus, your Christianity should affect every area of your life. Because as those who have been raised to the newness of life in Christ, Paul says, you have to put off the old self. You have to put on the new self. And you have to put in the effort. You have to put in the effort. And so there are three headings this evening. Put off, put on and put in. Put off, put on and put in. And I know it's a long introduction, but I want us to see the thread of Paul's letter. And I want us to see his overall purpose in writing to the Colossians. Because we can often get lost in all the details. And some of the details are beautiful. But we often miss the emphasis of his letter. And so what Paul is saying to the Colossians. Is that because they are Christians who have been raised to the newness of life in Christ. Their Christianity is to affect every area of their lives. And so the first thing Paul says to the Colossians and to us is put off your old self. Put off your old self. Look at verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, and when you were living in them, but now you must put them Put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And he gives all this list. And so, following on from the opening verses, these opening key words, 
where Paul says that if we've been raised with Christ, we're to seek the things above. He says, following on from that, he says, you must put off your old self. And you know, when Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, now don't get him wrong, he's not questioning the Colossians. He's not questioning us as to the genuineness and the completeness of our salvation. No, he's actually reminding us that we have been raised with Christ as Christians. We have been raised with Christ. And because we've been raised with Christ, we must put off the old self. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians and to us is that if you're a Christian, then you can't live like you used to. If you're a Christian, you can't do some of the things you used to do. If you're a Christian, you can't go to some of the places you used to go. Why? Because you're in union with Christ. You are united to Jesus Christ. His Spirit dwells within you. And yes, your salvation, it's all a work of the Spirit. But Paul is emphasizing here, you also have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be obedient to God's word and to seek to live a Christ-centered life. You have the responsibility, he says, of putting off your old self. And you know, this teaching of Paul, it wasn't just confined to the Colossians. This is what Paul reminded the Corinthians. He said to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is united to Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Colossians. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You have new life in Christ. Therefore, you must put off the old self. But notice, Paul doesn't just say, put off the old self. He says, put it to death. Put it to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he says again in verse 8, but, you, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put it to death. I love the way the authorised version puts it. He says, mortify your members. Mortify your members. Or Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the spirit, you will mortify the deeds of the flesh and you'll live. And Paul's point is that we don't just put off sin because that would make it too easy to put it back on. No, Paul says, put it to death. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, he says, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if you've been raised with Christ, then you must endeavor to mortify the deeds of the body, of the flesh. We've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And you know, it was the, the 17th century Puritan, John Owen, he once wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And you know, it's a brilliant book. And you can, you can read a more modern and more concise version of his book. It's one of the Puritan paperbacks. And it's a brilliant book. And it's an eye-opening book about our sin. 
and how our sin affects us and how our sin affects everyone around us. But in the book, The Mortification of Sin, John Owen, he famously writes, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work to mortify your sin? Then he says, be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Then he gives this famous quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And you know, that's what Paul is saying to us here. He's saying, you've been raised with Christ. You're united to Christ. Therefore, you must endeavor to put sin to death. You must mortify sin. You have to kill sin or sin will be killing you. But you know, you might be thinking, well, what's the point in trying to kill sin? Sin is impossible to kill. It almost seems like a futile exercise trying to kill what's impossible to kill. It's impossible to get rid of this sin. But as Paul explains, he says that as Christians, he says we're not to get angry with one another or show malice or slander one another or speak ill of one another and even lie to one another. And Paul says in verse 9 that we're not to do these things. He says you have to put off the old self with its practices and you have to put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And Paul's point is that the only way to put on the new man is to put off the old one. The only way to make room for the new is to get rid of the old. The only way to adorn the characteristics of the new self is to put to death the characteristics of the old self. And Paul is making quite clear here, we can't do both. We can't enjoy the benefits of the new man and live like the old man. Because, well, that's hypocrisy, is it not? You can't be double-minded. The Bible doesn't teach us to be double-minded. The Bible says to us, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so we have to put off the old self. We have to put to death the old man. We have to mortify the deeds of the flesh, of the body. So that we can put on the new self. And put on the new man. And live in the newness of life in Christ. And with the newness of life in Christ. And as those who have been raised with Christ. Paul says there's no distinction. There's no segregation. There's no category. There's no separation or division. Or type of person that Jesus saves. And this is the beauty of it. Paul says in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian. Slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. And the reason Paul says this. Is because as we mentioned before. In Colossae there was all these divisions. All these types of Christian. All these these different segregations of, of Christianity. But Paul says here, when you are in Christ, when you're raised with Christ, when you put on the new man, there's no group, there's no person, there's no category that Jesus saves. When you're in Christ, that's your category. You're all in Christ. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And so we're to see that when we're in Christ, we're all one in Christ. We're not a better Christian than someone else. We're not a poorer Christian than someone else. We're not more inferior. 
to someone else's Christianity. We're all one in Christ. And so he says we must endeavour to put off the old self. And put on the new. And that's what Paul talks about in the next section. Because as Paul continues to emphasise to those who have been raised to the newness of life in Christ. He says that our Christianity is to affect every area of our lives. And so Paul says, put off. Then he says, put on. Put on, he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And so having told us to put off and to put to death the old man, the old self, Paul now tells us to put on, what to put on. And you know, when we consider all these characteristics that we are to put on, the characteristics, he says, of holiness, compassion, kindness, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. All these characteristics are the characteristics of Jesus. And so what Paul is really saying to us is, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on as God's chosen ones the characteristics that imitate and emulate our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that was just what Paul said to the Romans. When he wrote to the Romans, uh, he mentioned in chapter 13, he says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. <clears throat> and what Paul was saying was, don't give the flesh any room. Keep putting it off. Keep putting it to death. Keep mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Put off Adam. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Adorn yourself with Jesus Christ. And live a Christ-like life. That's God-honoring. But you know what's more is that Paul, what Paul is saying is that we should put on all these characteristics because we are united to Jesus Christ. We should be like Jesus, he says, because we are united to Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father. We should emulate and imitate and walk in the ways of Christ because we are in union with him. We've been raised with him. Therefore, like this spiritual wardrobe, we're just to open the doors and put on and adorn ourselves with holiness and compassion and kindness and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love. And you know how hard that is to do. But you know what's interesting is that Paul makes a point of expanding upon some of the characteristics here. He says, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So he expands upon the characteristic of forgiveness. And you know, Jesus, he taught about this in the Sermon on the Mount. 
You remember how Jesus taught us how to pray. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But you know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus then added this solemn and important footnote at the end of the Lord's Prayer. He gave this condition. And he said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And it's a solemn warning to us that as Christians we should be characterized by forgiveness. But you know, the problem is, how often do we see Christians falling out with one another? And we see Christians holding grudges against each other. And we see Christians refusing to talk to one another. But what's worse about it all is that Paul is highlighting here that both those who are at enmity with one another, they're both united to Jesus Christ. They're both brothers and sisters in Christ. They're one in Christ. And yet there's no forgiveness. There's this childish and stubborn attitude that doesn't want to forgive one another, doesn't want to talk to one another. And when you dig deep or dig just below the surface, you see that the disagreement is so trivial. In light of eternity, so trivial. And yet Paul reminds us here that we are to put on forgiveness. We are to adorn ourselves with forgiveness. And it's a challenge because to be anything else other than forgiving, Paul says, is to be ungodly. And it's to be unchristlike. Therefore, our life should be characterized by forgiveness. And if we've wronged someone, we should acknowledge it and seek their forgiveness. Because Paul is urging us here to put on Christ, follow his example. Because the example we have, when you look at the cross, the example we have as Jesus hung, crucified upon a Roman cross is that he said about his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, the life of Jesus Christ, it was characterized by forgiveness. And Paul is saying, you're to put on Christ. Jesus Christ is to affect every area of your life. But you know, the greatest characteristic of Christ that we must put on as Paul says, is love. He says in verse 14, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are to put on love. Paul mentions it as the first outworking of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We're to put on love because that's how people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so my friend, love is the defining characteristic of a Christian. Because love was the defining characteristic of Christ. Christ himself said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
And you know, our response to all that we are in Christ and all that we have through Christ, it should be thankfulness. And this is what Paul is saying to us. He says, go to your spiritual wardrobe and put on Christ. Put him on every day. Put on Christ. Adorn yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. And put on holiness and compassion and kindness and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love. And then he says in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so as Paul continues to emphasize here that those who have been raised to the newness of life in Christ, he says our Christianity, it should affect every area of our life. And if our Christianity is affecting every area of our life, then we will seek to put off the old self. We will seek to put on Jesus Christ. But then thirdly and finally, Paul says that we will seek to put in the effort. We will put in the effort of obedience. So put off, put on, and put in. Put in. Look at verse 17. Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so in this chapter, in chapter 3, Paul has already, already reminded us that as those who have been crucified, dead and buried with Christ and then raised to the newness of life with Christ, he says that new life in Christ should cause us to put off the old self, put on Christ, but it should also cause us to put in the effort of obedience. Because you know, there's no doubt that the Christian life, it's a life of discipline. It requires discipline. But when we're raised with Christ and new in Christ, things have to be different. Because as we said, we are united to Christ. The Spirit dwells in us. And as we said, yes, it's a work, our salvation is a work of the Spirit, but we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility of being obedient to God's word and seeking to live a Christ-centered life. But you know, the question is, why? Why do you live in obedience? Why do you seek to live a Christ-centered life? Is it because that's what you were told to do? Is it because it's, well, because you know you have to? Is it because that's expected of you by the elders or 
by other Christians? Is it because you think that God will love you more if you do it? Is it because you think that God will be pleased with you if you're obedient? And you know, I ask all these questions because if you think that your obedience to God gives you a better standing with God or makes you a better Christian, then you haven't understood the gospel. You haven't understood that your salvation is nothing to do with you. It's all about Christ, what Christ has done on your behalf. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. That's what Paul has emphasized all the way through this letter. But now he says, your obedience has everything to do with you. Your obedience has everything to do with you. Your responsibility, he says, is to be obedient to God's word and apply it in your life. But you know, we have to get this clear. You're not to obey God's word out of a sense of duty and slavish fear. You're not to obey God's word out of a fear of punishment or a fear of what God will do to you if you don't do as he says. My friend, we are to be obedient to God and we're to fulfill our responsibility, not out of a sense of duty, but out of love. We're to fulfill our responsibility of obedience out of an outworking of love in our heart for God. It's to be the outpouring of our love for God. That's why we respond in obedience. And you know, the Apostle John, he emphasized this in his letters. John was dealing with just the same issues as Paul was dealing with here. Christians who were lacking assurance. Christians who were lacking confidence in the finished work of Christ. And John dealt with this problem of thinking that Christian obedience is done out of a sense of duty. And the slavish fear of God. But John reminded the Christians by saying, There is no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this is the point. Everybody knows this verse. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. That's why we respond in obedience. We love him. Because he first loved us. And the point that both John and Paul are making. Is that we're to put off the old self. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to put in the effort. To live in obedience to God's word. And we're to do it out of love. Not because we have this slavish fear of God. But because we love God. We love what he's done for us. In Jesus Christ. We love the fact that Christ died on our behalf. And that we, that we were crucified with him. And we died with him. And we were buried with him. And we were raised with him. We love this. We love the fact that we're saved in Christ. And so the outworking of our salvation. Is not only love for God. But it's obedience and faithfulness to God. So my friend. We are to obey because of what Christ has done for us. And out of our love for him and for his church and for his cause, we're to respond in obedience. And you know, the point that Paul is making here, it should make us see that Christianity is not a religion. Please do not think that Christianity is a religion. Don't think that it's a book you read or a creed you follow or just commandments that we adhere to. This is the beauty of it. 
Christianity is a relationship. And it's a relationship based entirely upon love. And when you're in Christ, when Jesus is your saviour, when you're in this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Christ is your life. He's your everything. He's your all in all. And your union with Christ, this marriage that you have to him, where he's so precious to you as your saviour, that union you have, it should affect every area of your life. It shouldn't just affect certain compartments and certain areas of your life. When you're raised with Christ, it shouldn't just affect your little religion box that you have for the Lord's day. It shouldn't just, your Christianity shouldn't just reschedule your timetable for coming to church twice on the Lord's day and the prayer meeting midweek. No, when you're raised with Christ, when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it should affect every area of your life. Your Christianity should affect every area of your life because when everything is made new on the inside, it should affect you personally. It should affect your heart, your mind, your soul, your feelings, your conscience, your will, your affections, everything. When you're raised with Christ, it should affect your home, your marriage, your family, your community, your relationships, your neighbors, your job, your work colleagues, your money, your lifestyle. If your life has been raised with Christ, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then there should be not one area in your life that doesn't change. And my friend, if there are certain areas in your life that have not been affected by your Christianity, if they haven't been affected by your resurrection with Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is not Lord over every area of your life. And you know, far too often we want to keep things to ourselves, don't we? We want to give Jesus this bit, but not this bit. But he has to be Lord over our whole life. Lord of all. And Paul's emphasis is that if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, then he must be Lord over your whole life. That's what he says down in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Then he reminds us, you are serving the Lord Christ. And that's Paul's point. If you've been raised by your union with Jesus Christ, then you must live in loving obedience to his word. You must put off your old self. You must put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you must put in the effort of obedience out of love. You must put off, put on and put in. And so in this wonderful letter that we've been studying, Paul is asking us a lot of questions. He asked in chapter 1, how do you become a Christian? And if you're not a Christian tonight, Paul tells you, you must repent And confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Saviour. That's how you become a Christian. In chapter 2 Paul asked. Do you live like a Christian? Do you live with this confidence and assurance. In the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And he says you should have no reason to lack assurance or confidence. Because you have a full salvation in Jesus Christ. And then here in chapter 3. 
Paul asks, how much should your Christianity affect your life? And he's reminded us this evening that our Christianity should affect every area of our lives. Every nook and cranny of our lives should be affected by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we have to put off the old self, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and put in the effort by loving obedience to his word. Put off, put on, and put in. And God willing, we'll look at chapter 4 on Wednesday evening. And if you want to come along, you're more than welcome. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Uh, Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, teach us, we pray, to be obedient. To be obedient to thy word. We know, O Lord, that there are many voices that call for our distraction. They demand our attention. And they, in one way or another, they want our soul. But Lord, we pray that we might put off these things. That we might mortify the deeds of the flesh. And that each and every morning when we wake up, that we would not only clothe ourselves physically, but that we might clothe ourselves spiritually, that we would put on the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning of every day and go out into this world with Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. O Lord, help us, we pray, to be obedient. Help us to serve the Lord Christ humbly and to do it out of love, not out of this slavish fear, but to know that this Christ loved us and he gave himself for us and that we too would respond, respond in loving him and following him and walking closely with him. O Lord, do us good and we pray. Bless us in the week that lies ahead. A week, Lord, where we're always reminded that we do not know what a day or an hour may bring, but we commit this week into thy hand, knowing that thou art the one who is sovereign. Go before us then, we ask. And do us good, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude our service this evening by singing to God's praise in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're singing again at, well this time in verse 103. Page 408. As we said, this psalm is all about the Bible, how the psalmist loves the Bible, and it's his guide and rule in life. And he says, Psalm 119 and verse 103, he says, How sweet unto my taste, O Lord, are all thy words of truth. Yea, I do find them sweeter far than honey to my mouth. I through thy precepts that are pure do understanding get. I therefore every way that's false with all my heart do hate. Thy word is to my feet a lamp, and to my path a light. I sworn have, and I will perform to keep thy judgments right. We'll sing these verses of Psalm 119 to God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.